when I say I work as a real estate developer, often people assume I sell houses. Um, I'm sure that's happened to lots of your listeners. So I think the first barrier is just helping people understand that there is this field and then realizing it's a really big field. So I often talk to young people who want to work in real estate and I ask what they want to do within real estate. And almost inevitably, they don't even really know the set of options from finance and acquisitions, property management, brokering, and then within brokering, landlord rep, tenant rep, investment sales. You can be marketing, you can be a lender, you know, there's just so many different ways to be involved in, in real estate that I think for young people, first finding out about the industry and then second kind of finding their way to figuring out what they want to do within it is can be a, a big obstacle that just takes, I think, trying things out. Welcome back to the Placemaking Podcast. Today we have a very special guest who is at the forefront of shaping the skyline of Charlotte, North Carolina. Our guest is a distinguished real estate developer with a profound vision for transforming urban landscapes. And our latest project, the vibrant city of Charlotte, is nothing short of extraordinary. Without further ado, let me introduce you to Damon Hemmerdinger of ACO Properties Management. With a stellar track record of successful projects that blend innovation, sustainability, and community engagement, Dan has become a trailblazer in the real estate industry. Spotlight today is on Camp North End, an ambitious venture that promises to redefine the way we experience urban living in Charlotte. From cutting edge architectural designs to a commitment to environmental sustainability, Damon and his team have left no stone unturned in creating a development that seamlessly integrates with the city's dynamic character. During our conversation, we'll explore the inspiration behind Camp North End, unique challenges and opportunities presented by the Charlotte real estate market, and the developer's vision for fostering a sense of community within this bustling urban environment. Whether you're a resident of Charlotte, eager to learn more about the transformation happening in your city, or real estate enthusiasts interested in the latest trends, this episode is sure to offer valuable insights. So grab your headphones and join us as we delve into the world of real estate development with vision, visionary Damon Hemmerdinger. Stay tuned and let's get started. Welcome Damon. Uh, we are excited about uh, having a conversation with you today. Um, you have a broad range of experience and um, have so many, I think, unique stories uh, you'll be able to, to share with the group today. Um, thank you for being here and uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, thanks for having me. My name is Damon Hemmerdinger and I'm a real estate developer. My company is called Atco Properties. Uh, I live in Forest Hills uh, Gardens in New York City and uh, I'm spending almost all my time with a team of terrific people as the developer of a campus in Charlotte called Camp North End. Um, it's about a 76-acre site, a mile from the Central Business District, where we are part of the way through adaptive reuse of some old, uh, huge warehouse buildings and uh, in the middle of construction of our first set of apartments. Uh, that's awesome. I, we, we definitely want to dive into that development, but also want to hear a little bit about your, your history, your background. Can you tell us some 
a little bit more about uh, how you got started in real estate. The road to development is often not that clear, so it's I always like to hear what uh, people's paths are. So if you could just give us a little, little taste of your intro to real estate. Sure. Uh, my road was definitely not a straight line. Um, and I think I discovered real estate development kind of gradually, uh, even though I grew up in a family that owned a real estate business. So um, in some ways it sort of came back around. Um, when I got to college, uh, I was surprised to learn that you could study the world around you. I always feel silly to say that, but before in high school, everything was in a book um, and very abstract. Uh, but I was uh, studied environmental studies and architectural history, spent a lot of time out in the world and observing and, and starting to learn. Uh, then I worked in politics after college for a few years and went to law school where I spent most of my time working in the housing community development clinic uh, and learning property law and real estate transactions, as well as some real estate courses at the business school next door. Uh, with an intention of working in economic development and real estate development. And after law school, I got a job that seemed like the job of a lifetime, uh, working with a nonprofit economic development group in southeastern Connecticut, uh, where we where my role was to recruit uh, private sector developers into what was initially a very large uh, and very fast moving, complicated redevelopment site. I was lucky to meet my wife while living in New London. Um, and then I uh, was there for a while and uh, eventually left to join a small consulting company where uh, my boss and later my partner and I consulted on uh, the kind of front end of retail development projects. Uh, we worked on some things in Boston and Coney Island uh, in other parts of Queens in Connecticut. And then we did some kind of more unusual things like how to fix the retail at the Telluride Mountain Village Ski Resort and uh, how to convert a NASCAR grandstand into a year-round attraction. Um, anyway, fast forward a little, and I joined my family's real estate company, which is called Atco. Uh, at the time, Atco was, an, oh, and was and still is an owner-operator of a primarily New York City portfolio uh, and operates on a vertically integrated basis in New York. And starting in 2009, I started to build a development an investment management company kind of attached to that business. And that's um, where I am today. Uh, we've over 14 years, we've bought I think 25 or 26 deals and exited uh, a little more than half of those. And uh, we've got an amazing team and a pipeline of work that I'm really excited about. Well, it's amazing to hear that you uh, launched a new venture in 2009. Um, it seems like maybe not the, the best timing, but it also may be the, the exact best timing. Um, what was what was that like in a, a kind of a global sense of of taking on a new effort in the middle of a global recession? It's a great question. It started very small. Started at a moment where uh, you know what we what I needed to do was uh, start small and build a track record of entering and exiting deals and generating return for investors and things. And so. Um, and I had a thesis at the time that I had a lot of conviction about, uh, which was focused on urban office and retail in Austin, Texas initially, and then certain other secondary markets. Um, 
And uh, so uh, it was all, it was a very scary time uh, in the world, obviously. But I think with conviction about an idea and the ability to start small, it, it felt pretty good. Has there been one defining moment in your career where you knew like you were on the right path and uh, you, you saw the shining light ahead of you? I don't know if there was a defining moment, but I think uh, what's so rewarding about working as a real estate developer is that we get to shape the world around us uh, for the better. And I've done that now, hopefully for the better, at least uh, in a lot of different places and a lot of different kinds of of work. And um, you're able to have a positive or negative impact on people's health and wellness on um, you know whether there are opportunities for small businesses in a, in a place, and for those people to build wealth for their families, uh, you know whether a, a big company can uh, locate an office in a place that stimulates their employees' creativity and collaboration and and shaping about you know shaping the life of a family with with kids. So, uh, and if you do this, if you do it right, when it all works, um, you get to not only create those positive impacts, but generate you know, great economic returns for investors and make a good living for yourself. So there was no flash of brilliance but, or, or inspiration, maybe, or insight. Yeah. But that's, how, that's kind of where I've, what I've come to see is what's so appealing to this work to me. You mentioned doing it right. <laughs> um, when you do it right in development, um, what type of attributes for your projects kind of went into doing it right who i guess who who benefits and and what what type of uh criteria kind of lend to to doing it right for you as as a developer and your team uh it's a great question and i think it i think the answer probably depends on uh the project so i don't i don't have i don't think there's a, a uniform answer to give that covers everything but i think I think there are times when uh, developers are really content to kind of do something, draw a watercolor sketch or, you know, have a watercolor rendering and sign a lease off of that. And from there, it sort of doesn't matter. But I think it's really um, kind of about a a commitment that I have that uh, the thing we build look like the rendering uh, and be built well, uh, that uh, we approach the design of that place from the point of view of the people who we hope will use it as opposed to from the kind of ceremonial architectural uh, world. And that we, you know, that you set up a business plan for a, pro- for a project that will actually support occupants, the businesses, the residents, the tenants uh, in what they're, what they're doing. Is there a place you visited um, that, has transformed the way you think about the built environment? If you look at my camera roll or ask my family what it's like to travel with me, uh, <laughs> they will tell you there are lots of places uh, and lots of inspiration around the world, uh, you know, or, or everywhere I go. Um, I really spend uh, a lot of time and energy thinking about what kinds of places I like to be in and what kinds of places other people uh, like to be in. Um, so, for example, so asked for some places. Uh, <clears throat> I'm very lucky that I live in a neighborhood called Forest Hills Gardens uh, in New York. It's a, it was the first garden city or streetcar suburb in the U.S. and is much more like 
uh, streetcar suburbs and other American cities than what you think of uh, life would be like in New York City. So we're a 15-minute train ride to Grand Central Terminal or Penn Station or 30-minute subway ride to Midtown. And when you come off the train and walk under the train bridge, there are trees, it's quiet. <clears throat> there are a mix of housing types, big houses, small houses, row houses, apartment buildings. There are school and churches and parks and um, all of those kind of variety of housing types and civic features. We're in a place where I can walk to shop and uh, walk to my friends' houses and so forth is just uh, is very special. And I, I wish everybody uh, had the chance to live in a place uh, like I get to live in. That's kind of my a place that I'm inspired by in my, in my personal life. Um, in terms of places that I've uh, learned a lot from in the sort of uh, context of the work I'm doing now, uh, Chelsea Market, uh, Pond City Market, and Industry City, three of Jamestown's projects are among uh, the places that I think have created place and environment in a, in a really amazing way. Um, there's an office building next to Pond City Market that a friend of mine, Jim Irwin, developed that I think is the best ground-up uh, office building project I can think of. I love visiting hotels because the hospitality sector is always way ahead of the rest of the real estate sector at, at make creating a great experience in the place. So th th those are a few of the places I visited that kind of inform what I think at the moment. You know, we studied Forest Hills Garden. Um probably back in school, you know, 20 years ago, and having never visited, um, it's fantastic to actually see that reference come back because there was so much intentionality, I think, about development at that point in, in you know, American history and, you know, not trying to, like, fully reshape um, how we lived, which was, um, I guess, part of that exercise, but it really drew from history and uh, trying to pull in those elements that um, it was it was pioneering in so many ways, but it was also just so foundational in in what we know about human history and human development. Um, it's amazing, and I'm looking forward to, to visiting there someday. Um, when you see all of these different projects and all the different things that you've come through, is, is there a, a thread that ties all of that together for you from a, an aesthetic standpoint or um, fr from that sense of place? I'll build on what you said to say that <clears throat> none of this is new. And, you know, we all love to visit uh, Europe as tourists, or, you know, we love being in a ski village, or we love we loved our time at college where we walked from building to building or uh, with other people that we had uh, a shared experience with. I think that the traditional urban form with relatively narrow streets, with buildings that are built to the back of the sidewalk, at least if you're in an urban location, you know, those kinds of, of features that bring people close together um, stand out. In terms of aesthetics, uh, I think you can make a great place with very modern architecture or very traditional architecture. So I don't have a particular, and there's definitely things I like and I don't like as much, but I think you can do it well with any kind of design aesthetic that you bring to the table if you have the right ingredients yeah. i've had that conversation with clients before about designs of you know facades or you know whole buildings or, or complexes and it always comes down to a level of detail that's approachable i think and 
Um, you know, obviously a brick is a great example of something that you can you can touch, you can feel, everyone has experience with it. Um, but a lot of the urban environments and places, they have not only the layers of, you know, the public to the private side and all the spaces in between, uh, but also that, that layering of the landscaping and of streetlights and, you know, fencing and all the other pieces aren't really the architecture at all. Um, they're actually the stuff that happens before you get to the to the building. And it's it's great to see Camp North End uh, and the work that you've done because I see those layers there and I see that attention to detail and to to the point you've made is your um, sets and your priorities, which is fantastic to see. But it's also great to see the projects that you've worked on and that come through. And that's really really fascinating. And kudos uh, to all the hard work it takes to to do that. Um, is there one development project that you are most excited about right now? So, uh, I mean, Camp North End is one project, but it's also 20 projects in one. So that's that that place is my passion at the moment and uh, has been for seven years or so, and I think will be for uh, many more till we're done. I'm excited to be nine months away from the first residence living on site. Uh, we're hoping to capitalize and break ground on the next apartment building uh, in the first half of next year. I'm very excited to try, even in these challenging economic times or challenging capital markets times, to have uh, the pipeline of additional housing coming. And um, I guess those two pieces are the are what are most exciting right now. That's big. You said nine months away from starting, or uh, from people moving in. Yes. You said, wow. So just curious, we've talked about kind of some of your, some of the places that have meant the most to you, that have impacted you the most. How did those play into Camp North End, the, at least the overall vision of Camp North End? And, and do you see little aspects of Camp North End uh, or, or those, those places within Camp North End? Yes, there are lots of examples uh, of of things we've done that are based on things we've seen in other places. Um, Industry City is organized around a network of courtyards that you walk through that each have a different uh, feeling and a different sensibility and a different design aesthetic. And Camp North End is kind of similarly organized around a chain of public spaces organized on an axis through the site that. Uh, is where retail is clustered and uh, uh, where we're trying to gather people. It's a little less visible maybe at Camp North End because Industry City is, uh, I think it's six rigid rectangles in a grid and Camp North End is uh, anything but a grid. So um, we've uh, our sort of imposing structure uh, to a visit in a way that's not quite as um, obvious uh, as industry city, but we're, we're working with that. Um, I think the um, way that uh, at Chelsea market, even today, you know, decades into their life, you can see uh, the old character of the, that Nabisco factory building uh, there and the way they've kind of just let their modern interventions uh, 
bit there. So there's exposed conduit on the wall and that's just fine. You know, and there's, uh, there are beams that were cut that where you can see the cut mark of the beam and that, and that's still there. So a lot of that kind of expressing history and, and the specific place, uh, even as you're completing a renovation, I think is, is something we built on. Um, and then I think from, from far sills, the desire to have people and uses clustered together in a dense environment uh, is definitely a, a leading driver of kind of what we're trying to accomplish, even within the framework of the modern zoning and building and fire codes that make that very, very difficult to do. Sure. Sure. That could be a whole nother, that could be like three episodes. Uh, and we'll probably touch on it a little bit. He uh, said something. He said the traditional grid, and a lot of cities are kind of going back to the grid um, and, and requiring some sort of grid infrastructure and for future, you know, new developments. Um, I'm curious, was there a existing condition or the existing location structures within the site that kind of forced it to get outside of a grid, or was it never the intent for this to be a grid, or? I guess what was your thought process behind that? Just curious. Yes, there there are constraints on the site uh, from the old buildings, uh, from the topography that was created to make flat parcels for those big buildings to be built and for trains to get to them on grade. Um, that made a, a, a straightforward grid. Or you know, rectangular grid just not possible. Uh, we did um, have you know an extensive uh, design process ourselves, and then an extensive negotiation with the folks in charge of the subdivision uh, ordinance in Charlotte to work out uh, the layout and, con and connectivity of of streets and sidewalks and pedestrian ways and and so forth. Um, uh, and early in that process, there was some tension between the two points of view. And we finally got the folks to come out to visit in person and see that actually there's a 20 foot grade change right there. And so you can't just put a road uh, and so forth. So once we all were standing there together, we, we were able to get to an agreement with each other pretty quickly. Uh, obviously dealing with the city and, and dealing with all those site constraints are, are up there on the list. Um, what are some of the hurdles that you've encountered with Camp North End that may not be, you know, visible to the public? Um, so we had great collaboration uh, with the city in terms of the, uh, let me start the over. Charlotte, uh, let me start that over again. Um, when we worked on our rezoning at Camp North End, includes what's basically the site plan approval process at the same time. This is a conditional rezoning with very detailed requirements kind of baked in at the time it was approved. And we had a lot of collaboration and cooperation from uh, the folks at the city to um, depart from some of their standards. Um, particularly as we got away from the perimeter of the site and into the middle of the site where we could have um, streets that didn't have uh, a typical kind of suburban, urban gutter uh, at the edge and 
and so forth. Um, and we're still, you know, e each step of what we're trying to do has involved um, trying to fit into the all the requirements of, of the various codes. Um, our setbacks between buildings are bigger than I think they should have to be because Charlotte likes its setbacks. Um, there's been some flexibility about how we achieve all that space that they want between the buildings, uh, but they do want a lot of space between the buildings. Um, just to use one example, lots of constraints that are, are hard to see, but that's pretty esoteric pretty quickly. There's always this tension going through a, a large-scale development project of what what do you put out there? You know, what is ready for public consumption versus what do you have to do programmatically in order to understand the market, you know, the economics, all those pieces. It's it's difficult to develop in the public eye, um, but you have had such success, I think, thus far. Um, what, what does it feel like? What's that tension like with wanting to market the project and, and put it out to the public and, and share the excitement versus the need to make sure that you have as much as possible defined um, so you can you and your partners can move forward with confidence? We have leaned towards communicating more uh, about the vision, I think, than, than is, is typical. Um, and I think you sort of have to communicate enough that you've built up enough trust with folks that when things change, you can explain it um, because things change. Um, but they haven't really changed at a vision level. Uh, we're still developing the project we talked about in 2017 that has a mix of uses and a mix of buildings and, you know, adaptive reuse of old buildings and, and new buildings and so on. Um, uh, and I think you build credibility with each step of work that you do to be able to kind of share in public. Um, but it definitely does. There, there's definitely risk that people get upset if you don't, as things, as things change. Um, but I think uh, we, we haven't had too much concern about that because again, we're, we're still operating very much within the framework, the overall framework of what we said we were going to do at the very beginning. I've been a part of development projects that, um, you know, start with the concept, start with the vision, go quiet six or eight months, all the due diligence and, and, and legal and land on the back end. And then the phone call comes in. We're like, hey, we need our plans in six months. Can you have them done in six months? And uh, it's always this kind of push and pull of, you know, you don't know when you're ready until you're ready. Right. And and that's that's a challenge, too, because you're also dealing with on the finance side, you're dealing with some you know, global economics. Uh, you know, it's, the supply chain has been a, a common thread in a lot of our conversations. But um, you know, you have the uh, the, the leadership um, in in leading and putting the vision together, as you described. Um, is that the most exciting part of the project for you, or, or as you kind of described earlier, are are you excited about the entire continuum of the development process? I'm excited about the whole thing. Uh, I like to look at a tenant's sign shop drawing, uh, and I like to uh, hear how my colleagues are planning our 
mistletoe market in December this year better than last year. Um, I'm often listening and learning as opposed to guiding those discussions, but I like being part of it and I like seeing then how it how it plays out. Um, I, I, I there definitely are pieces that I leave to other people, but I I that's not out of not liking them. It's out of just there's not enough time and they've got greater expertise than I do. Yeah. Can we can we segue that into the the nickname placemaker in chief? Sure. <laughs> That's a new one for me. Actually, I haven't heard that one. So kudos. Well, I made it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, good for you. It's the first one. Uh, so what what does the the word placemaking mean for you and, and how do you see that playing out uh specifically in Camp North End and then you know your your developments as a whole? To me, placemaking means creating a place where people want to spend their time and their money and doing that through uh, a carefully curated mix of uses, through great design, and through uh, programming and events, and using all of those things to try to create an emotional connection between the visitor and the place. And if you can... Uh, reach somebody emotionally by surprising them, by uh, showing them something they didn't expect, uh, or which are the kind of frameworks that I uh, focus on for that emotional connection some, usually. They fall in love and they want to come back <clears throat> and they want to bring their friend to eat dinner there. They want to bring their company to look at their office there. And maybe they even want to bring their family to, to live there. You asked kind of how we how we do it. Um, I, I start uh, with a pretty strong vision at, at a high level, and I'm uh, an idea generator. Uh, usually, my ideas are meant to be a stalking horse for somebody else to improve on and do better than, uh, which is the best part when when that happens. And although we've moved very fast. Uh, compared to a typical real estate development, I tend to be the clog in the wheel that slows us down uh, to make sure we're making the best decision and not just the the easiest or first uh, decision. Um, I think it for sure drives my teammates crazy sometimes, but really what we're doing is a thousand small decisions that have to mostly be right as opposed to one big decision at the beginning that's enough to carry the whole project. Well, speaking of that big decision um, at the beginning, I, I assume there was some sort of kickoff, some sort of charrette, some sort of visioning for the, the project as a whole for Camp North. And I'm just curious how that, what that looked like, who was involved, kind of some high-level discussions that were, were taking place, and then how you were able to stretch that i guess through you know you're you're almost nine months away from the first multifamily tenants moving in so how are you able to continue that discussion through uh through implementation and and continuing the vision of this place the first thing i did when we had the site under control was uh go find the architect who had designed some of the places i mentioned before uh so that's John Clifford, 
uh, who's from S9 Architecture, has been the design architect of Ponce and of uh, Industry City, among many, many other things. And uh, John and uh, I and a couple other people uh, walked the site uh, in, must have been 2016. And um, I think the most important thing that John brings to the table is the ability to see how to get a, a large scale project kind of from here to there. I think most architects focus on the end result and what the place will look like at the end. And John was always is always focused on the way to get there in incremental steps that that made sense. And so uh, we got at a high level pretty quickly to a master plan that called for renovating, preserving the historic architecture in the center of the site and building new around the perimeter of the site. Came pretty quickly to a vision or program that was large scale offices in those old buildings together with relatively small amounts of strategically placed retail and then uh, residents and potentially office as well built in those new buildings around the perimeter of the site. And then as the team grew, you know, we were working towards this rezoning document that in many ways locks in a lot of decisions. So some of the decisions we made are being implemented because we have to, uh, because that's what we agreed to do. And then I think we've just, we've continued to work with John and his firm as the design architect on the commercial uh, parts of the project. And uh, I'm also super lucky that first people who joined the team are still part of the team. And so that's, we're together carrying that vision through from the beginning through today and beyond. There's a lot of collaboration in those early parts of the project and, and the, <clears throat> the visioning feels and, and seems open-ended. Zoning by definition is, is, a, is a barrier uh, to try and limit the you know, things that can and can't be done just to um, systematize the process. What are the types of things that you you negotiated for or you felt like you had to leave on the table um, in order to get the project to move forward on time? At the entitlements yeah. phase? So we were fortunate um, that the city was uh, willing to classify the site as what they call UMUD O which is actually their central business district zoning type. So yeah. essentially all the uses are on the table. So on the uses, we didn't have to compromise much. We spent a lot of time working on the design of the infrastructure and the connectivity to try to make sure that we were able to create the character of the place we wanted and still meet the desires and you know, appropriate desires of study to be able to move people through this large campus in an, in an orderly way. We, at the same time, were negotiating and designing infrastructure around the perimeter of the site that the city funded as part of the uh, our overall uh, project entitlements. And we certainly had to compromise a lot or just let go of what that would look like. Those are two state highways. And so this infrastructure had to match what the state DOT wanted them to look like. And that obviously is not something that's uh, up for much negotiation. 
that it was a it, we did have a collaborative process and really did we were more focused on flexibility in the adaptive reuse phase and in some ways the city was more concerned with constraining the future ground up construction um to kind of fit with their vision of what buildings should look like and, and be like so um we were in some ways focused on different things, which left room for us each to get much of what we wanted, I think. In your real estate career, what are the, um, can you name like one in, uh, influence or um, a resource that you always go back to for inspiration? I've had a bunch of great bosses uh, in my career that I learned from. And I've been lucky to be uh, working with my father and my sister for a long time until my father passed away last year, but still with my sister. Yeah. And I think those uh, bosses and uh, mentors have all been really key to what I do. And I think about different things I learned from each of those people all the time. So we've talked about roadblocks and you know the things that hold up development. You you have the persistence and you know obviously the training and and skill at, at weathering those roadblocks. Um, what are what are some of those roadblocks that you see other people deal with in real estate um, that should maybe be easily solved if if they had the right kind of planning or um, the the right kind of um, you know mentoring? Um, but what do you see out in the world of some of the other roadblocks that folks are running into? I'm not sure any of it's easily solved. I think this is really hard stuff, but uh... Uh, happy to talk about a couple of them. Um, I think most people don't even know that real estate development is a field and a, and a job. When I say I work as a real estate developer, often people assume I sell houses. Um, I'm sure that's happened to lots of your listeners. So I think the first barrier is just helping people understand that there is this field and then realizing it's a really big field. I often talk to young people who want to work in real estate and I ask what they want to do within real estate. And almost inevitably, they don't even really know the set of options from finance and acquisitions, property management, brokering, and then within brokering, landlord rep, tenant rep, investment sales. You can be marketing, you can be a lender, you know, it's just so many different ways to be involved in, in real estate that I think for young people, First, finding out about the industry, and then second, kind of finding their way to figuring out what they want to do within it is can be a, a big obstacle that just takes, I think, trying things out. Obviously, capital is a big roadblock for lots of people in uh, getting into or being in real estate. Um, I've had to learn how to raise capital, and uh, I would say it didn't come... It still doesn't really come that naturally to me, but uh, it's a really important part of being able to uh, get the resources to bear to build a project. Um, I was fortunate that I had a leg up because I was building this business attached to a company that had capital and had a balance sheet, um, which made it easier for me maybe than for some folks. But um, uh, starting small and and starting, I think, is um, uh, the best way to attack uh, that roadblock. And then I guess 
having the opportunity to speak to people and find mentors and find insight uh, is is just really important. Um, and I keep my direct messages open and answer the ones that aren't spammy uh, <laughs> uh, from young people all the time. I like talking to them. Uh, I hired a great team member about a year ago that I met on Twitter. Um, and uh, so I think, you know, my role in that is just being available to answer people's questions and uh, make connections for them. And I enjoy doing that. You know, that's much appreciated by the community because I think there is a lot of misunderstanding and really just lack of knowledge on, on what's really involved in real estate development of, you know, growing up that buildings just appeared, right? They were just constructed and <laughs> there's no process. It's just, that's what they wanted to build, right? Um, you know, in a role that is heavily involved in that, there's a lot more involved. And so uh, that's part of this, the mission of this podcast in general is just to make that hopefully a little more common knowledge of what process, what uh, roadblocks there are to kind of prepare folks and have uh, the opportunity to meet people that are doing stuff that they want to do, uh, such as yourself. So really appreciate you being upfront and, and reaching out to people and or having people reach out to you and, and being willing to answer questions. Cause I think that goes a long ways for not only the industry, but regionally and, and just within different organizations, you know, a lot of planning commissions and city councils, uh, are, are, more of a, a teaching moment than than anything. Um, so definitely would recommend those that are interested in real estate to to go visit those meetings and attend those meetings in the communities that you live in. You learn a whole lot, um, not only about the real estate development process, but what people are looking for in their community. Um, and they're very vocal. So <laughs> gives them a platform. So kind of looking ahead, you, you've mentioned yourself as a resource, and that's probably, probably part of your your legacy moving forward. But kind of looking into the future, what what do you see as the legacy of not only yourself, Damon, but uh, your company, Camp North End, just as a whole? Uh, what you'd like to like to leave behind? It's a big one. <laughs> that is a big question. Yeah. Uh, so I hope that uh, Camp North End is an example of a project that is a great place uh, that has people who love to live and work and visit uh, it and that is considered by our neighbors to have had a positive impact on the communities uh, that they live in uh, off the property uh, in that in the north end section of charlotte uh, and that we made a great return for our investors at the same time and then for me there's probably 10 or more years to go on Camp North End's development, uh, but I would love to get a chance to do something else uh, that has as big an impact on the community and on myself uh, as this has been. That's great. Well, we really appreciate your time and all of the um, experience that you bring to bear and the forthrightness with, with which you've um, shared your story. Is there anything uh, else that you've been thinking about that maybe you'd, you'd want to share? Any uh, any anecdotes? I don't think so. I think you guys covered it all. That was great. Oh, 
All right. Well, thank you, Damon, again, for your time. Uh, look forward to seeing the continued progress on Camp North End. And, uh, and as always, um, I think the, the biggest uh, thank you is for being a mentor uh, to those around you and those that you've reached out to and um, letting people know that it's a difficult business, uh, but you right patience and the right mindset and vision, you can make it happen. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Matt. It's been fun.